We're going to look momentarily in 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles. Uh, the next two weeks we'll be in Jude, two weeks in a row, New Testament, uh, and that'll be more teaching than this morning, kind of in depth. You know, whenever you start to think that you're doing a good job speaking or preaching, someone always just kind of brings you down a notch. Years ago, I was teaching at the Bible College, and, and I was your interim, and it was hard to, you know, transition from being, you know, teaching sometimes seminary classes and then coming preaching because it's just different, you know, and you try to really give the seminarians real deep stuff, and then you come to church. Unfortunately, that carries over sometimes. Sometimes, and I preached a message, and as I was walking out, one of our ladies come up to me and said, I didn't understand a thing you were talking about. And I thought, boy, <laughs> that just brought me right down to reality, <laughs> you know. Just thank God for what we are, and we are what we are by the grace of God, and we thank Him for it. But pride is an overestimation of one's abilities and one's importance, and we all struggle with that. Uh, David struggled with it. We all struggle with it. Uh, anything uh, that's not of God is sinful. And anything sinful, whether small in your eyes or great, still causes God's displeasure. And sometimes we come to church, we want the pastor to always preach about all the people out there. You know, the gays and the drunkards and the politicians. But really, that's not our calling. We are to feed the what? Sheep. We're not supposed to talk about the wolves all the time. I mean, I preach that stuff, but we need to sometimes just examine our hearts and take a look in the book for a walk in the world and look in the glass of the word. And when we look in this mirror, we're not supposed to look in it like this to try and see someone else. We're supposed to see ourselves. And David really made a big mistake here. But these small sins we, we, we think of being rude to someone. We all can do that. Just be rude to someone. And we think that everything's okay. But any sin, whether great or small, breaks the fellowship with God. So when we're rude to someone or, or curt, that breaks God's heart and we're out of fellowship with God. We can't pray. Things are wrong until we say, Lord, I was sorry. I, I'm sorry. I was rude to that person. And sometimes we need to go back and say to that person, I am so sorry. I was rude to you. Now, that, that takes humility, but we have to humble ourselves. In the sight of the Lord, we have to humble ourselves. Think about the white lies we tell and we think it's okay. Do you know that breaks fellowship with God as much as it does getting drunk? Yeah. What about um, uh, just uh, evil thoughts, dwelling on things that are evil? What, what about passive-aggressive behavior? Now, that's a psychological term. A term of psychology. Passive aggressive behavior is when you're irritated at someone, but you're too cowardice to go to them and talk to them one on one and say, hey, you did something that hurt me or hurt my family or you were you, you did me dirty on this or that. We don't have the courage to do that. So you know what we do? We just are sort of cold to them when they say, how are you doing? Fine. And we turn, look the other way. We let them know with our passive aggressive behavior that we're upset with them. We're really angry with them, but we don't dare say, here's what's really bothering me. And these little things that we do a lot of times, we don't realize those things break fellowship with God. God doesn't, doesn't like sin in any way, shape, or form. I've got another one written down here, envy. Envy. Maybe someone got a promotion at work that you didn't get and you're envious of them. Or maybe somebody has something that you've always wanted and can't afford. 
And maybe I go out visiting with Lloyd on Wednesdays. Maybe you say, well, old pastor's always visiting with Lloyd. He won't visit with me. Yeah, and, and nobody said that. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't take much to trigger envy in our lives. And that green-eyed monster has split more churches than drunkenness ever has. Did you know that? It split more churches than immorality ever has. And so we look at David's life today. We're going to read chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And the tradition here is to stand, 21, 1 through 4. Did you know Israel would stand and read entire books of the Bible? Uh, can you imagine that? Reading the entire book of Ruth at a certain holiday, and they did that with five different books, stood for public reading. There were times that Israel read the entire Pentateuch and stood for it, which would take probably close to an hour to read the whole Pentateuch out loud. But we look at chapter 21, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring, them, bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Job answered, said the Lord, that's Yahweh, Make his people a hundred times so many more that they be. But my Lord, meaning master, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Job. Wherefore, Job departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. So he's counting. Pick up, drop down to verse 8. And David said unto God, I have greatly sinned because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have, already, I have done foolishly. And the Lord spoke unto Gad, David's seer, that's prophet. Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer three things to choose from. I paraphrase that. One of them that I, choose one of them that I may do it unto thee. Look at verse 12. He said, Either three years famine or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtake thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. God bless us as we look into your holy book that we'll learn something that can apply to our lives. And help us, Lord, to be obedient, not just to hear it, but to obey it. Bless now, and Lord, I ask you to hide me behind the cross, that you'll empower me today to say what needs to be said. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It seems as though this is a great punishment for what seems to be such a small sin. I mean, after all, he's only counting the people. But we have to remember, Joab warned him not to do it. We have to remember that this was more about David's self-sufficiency and thinking we've become so big. Remember, this is the largest Israel had ever been. The, the, the greatest borders, the, the, the most amount of people, the greatest military, and David had had some great victories. And so he's thinking, wow, we're really something. Let's count and see how many we really have. And of course, it displeased God. Obviously, David realized he was wrong. And when his commander came and rebuked him and said, this is not a good thing, he just did it anyway. And these events took place about 970 years before Christ left this earth. And Ezra wrote about him about 400 years later, 500 and something years uh, before Christ came. Ezra wrote this book. 
And it happened somewhere in between the Babylonian takeover and the Persian takeover, between 586 and 539 is when Ezra wrote about these events of David's life. It didn't happen then, but it was written about then. And so Chronicles originally was one book. Our word chronos or chronology comes from it. The, the actual title is, is actually from Greek, even though the book's written in Hebrew. And it's about the history of the priesthood and the temple. And uh, it's sort of a record of genealogy all going all, all the way back to Adam. And we know that, that, uh, uh, that excuse me, the, the, this is sort of like the Acts of the Old Testament, This is a parallel chapter to 2 Samuel 24. So if you want to read the parallel, very similar, 2 Samuel 24. Did you know there's two, two chapters in your Bible, word for word identical? Word for word identical, 2 Kings 19 and Isaiah chapter 37. Uh, it's been said that the straight and narrow road is the only road without a traffic problem. Very few find it and very few walk the straight pathway. And here David takes a detour. Doesn't seem like a great sin, but any sin that is against God's plan and his will angers God. And according to 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1, God was already anger, angry with Israel. The Bible said he was angry with Israel, and that parallel passage tells us the same thing. Verse 1 here tells us that Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David. And so we know God was behind that. He allowed for Satan to stand up. We see Satan doing that several times. Psalm 109, Satan stands up. The Bible talks about that. Think about with Job. Remember Job? Uh, Satan stood up and came and, and said, have you, you know, here, you know, you, you protect Job. And God said, have you considered Job? He said, you protect Job and, and you don't allow me to do anything to Job. He has to get permission to harm us. Remember, he stood up in Zechariah chapter 3 with Zerubbabel, the priest, and Joshua stood up. God was there, and there's Satan. He's, he's constantly doing that. He's our adversary. Now look over to 1 Kings. I want to always teach you at least one word study. 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings is just before Chronicles. You have Chronicles, as I said, originally was one book. And before that, you have Kings, and it's now divided. And we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. I want to let you understand understand and to see a word and how it's translated. The word Satan comes from the exact same Hebrew word translated elsewhere, adversary. We know in the New Testament he's called our adversary. But in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 14, it says here, and the Lord stirred up an adversary. Now this wasn't Satan, but the word adversary, same Hebrew word translated Satan. Look down in verse uh, 23. Again, verse 23, and God stirred him up another adversary. Verse 25, and he was an adversary to Israel. Satan is our adversary. He's against us. He's never been for us. He's against us. He's always been against us. He is our adversary. And we find him several times in Scripture standing up. And here, of course, he's causing trouble. He causes David to think about numbering the people. And David decides to go ahead and number the people because Satan puts this thought in his mind that maybe he'll be just a great man of power. Remember what Satan did with Eve? Ah, oh, you'll be as God. You'll know so much more if you eat that apple. And then when he came to Jesus, he said, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Of course, Jesus being God couldn't have sinned because he was impeccable. 
But he felt the urge. And he said no. And he quoted scripture to chase Satan away. And we find this happening. Now David is tempted with the glory of man. God wants Satan to, uh, I mean Satan, excuse me, David's tempted with the glory of man. And Satan wants him to just realize how great of a king he is. David had already sinned so many times. Remember, uh, he had sinned with the lust of the flesh. We know that. Lying, second degree murder, Bathsheba. Now it's the pride of man. What does Proverbs 6 say? These six things doth the Lord hate. And it goes on to say the seventh is an abomination. And we know that one of the six things is pride. One of the six things is pride. And Satan is tempting him with pride. Now what are the reasons for his failure? First of all, in verse 3, David was warned by his loyal commander. Joab came and said, Joab said, listen, this is not a good thing. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, He that listens to counsel is wise. The word hearkeneth is used there, but it's the word listen. He that listens to counsel is wise. Never make big decisions without talking with the decision about your wife, about, you know, other people in that line of work, people you work with. Listen to wise counsel. David ignored it. Second of all, he forgot that his trust was in the Lord and not in his great army. And that's a big problem when you realize your trust should be in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean on thine own understanding. Hey, don't lean on this. Lean on the Lord. I don't care how smart you are. You need God's counsel. Look at uh, Proverbs. I love Proverbs, or Psalms. Excuse me, Psalm chapter 30 and Psalm chapter 20. We're going to look at two verses in Psalms here. Chapter 30 and then chapter 20. Chapter 30, I love this verse. Verse 6 says this. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Listen, no matter how prosperous you are, you still need God. You still need God. Look at Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7. I love this verse. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And we trust in it. I trust in Jesus. That's, that's the name I trust right there. Jesus, the Yahweh of the Old Testament. I trust in him. Without him, I wouldn't be here today. I love Mick's testimony last week, owning bars. His dad was an alcoholic all those years, 13 years. His dad gets saved. It took a while for Mick to see that his dad got something that was real. You know, and his dad being an alcoholic led to him owning bars. You know, that when you sin, it does affect other people. And we'll see that today in today's text. But David's trusting in his own strength. Sometimes we think numbers is a sign of God's blessing. Don't, don't ever think that. While it is a sign of God's blessing on one hand, oftentimes the church will grow and wolves will enter with the sheep. And uh, tears will enter in the wheat, and all of a sudden you have problems. And also think of sometimes big churches. We think, oh, it's a big church. And I was raised in a mega church, and God blessed it. I know the numbers that came there were of God, but my pastor was a pastor who made sure to deal with sin and to lead effectively, and that was the difference because how many times do we know of churches that big numbers but a lot of sin? Sometimes staff members in sin, people in sin, leadership in sin. We can't tolerate that because that will ruin a church ultimately. 
And I don't care how many numbers we have. I want us to have the power of God in our church. I want us to do right and live right and sense his presence and power when we're here in church and whether the numbers come, uh, and I hope they will and I trust they will, it's not all about numbers. It's about magnifying the name of the Lord. It's all about Jesus. And so David could have, uh, it could have been also that David, another thing that made God angry, we know, it could have been that David did not give the offering that he was supposed to give. Look at Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30 teaches us that by the law, under the law, when they counted, when they did a census, they were required, every person counted was required to give money. It's interesting. Interesting. And in chapter 30 of Exodus, verses 12 and 15, notice what it says. When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall Every, then, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul. Isn't that something? Unto the Lord. And while thou numberest them, that there should be no plague amongst them when thou numberest them. So they all had to give a half shekel according to verse 13. And everyone, verse 14, it said everyone that's 20 years and older had to give a half shekel. 20 was the age of an adult back under the law. I wish it was that way today. Somebody had to be 20 before they could drink and before they can vote, before they can go to the war. We have it 18 in our country in most states, but here it was 20. And everyone 20 and over had to give a half shekel, a small amount, but they had to give when they were counted. Look at verse 15. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than a half shekel. Uh, when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. And so verse 12, uh, we, everyone had to give, give an offering. Everyone had to pay a ransom. I'm so thankful for grace. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson saint. He washed it white as snow. I don't have to pay anything for my ransom. Jesus paid it all. I'm not under the law. And Jesus paid my atonement. All of it on Calvary. You know what else I like in verse 15? It says it was just the same for the goose and the gander. Pastor, you're paraphrasing. I certainly am. It was, it was the same for the rich and the poor. The offering was the same. Did you know Jesus shed every drop of blood for every one of you just the same? It doesn't take less blood to wash away my sin than the town drunk. It's just the same. I needed it as much as anyone. You needed it as much as anyone. And thank God he's not a respecter of persons. He paid the ransom for all. He shed all his blood. And the sad thing here is <clears throat> David could have, could have changed his mind and stopped the count. It took him, it took the count took, according to Samuel, it took 10 months. Daniel just kept letting him count, letting him count. And you know he was uncomfortable with it. You know Joab had confronted him. You know he knew the law. Probably didn't give this offering. I don't know if he did or didn't, but I know he was going against God's plan because Joab pointed out, I know your motive, David. God didn't instruct you to count. You're doing this for another reason. And I, I like that when we have the Nathans or the Gad. Gad was a prophet that came to him in this case. But, but and Joab was his commander. I like it when people go to people and point out, hey, this is wrong. Have you thought about this? This is wrong. He's the king. And his commander said, who was at times a very carnal person, said to him, I don't think we should do this. We've always depended on God. Why are we now counting 
And David didn't pay heed. In the verse, verse 6 back in our text, it says this. For the king's word was abominable to Joab. That word's translated abhor. It's translated so many ways in your Bible. Joab lost respect for the king's word. You know, as a leader, when you sin, and all of you that have a family are leaders, when you sin, your word becomes worthless in the eyes of your children, in the eyes of your co-worker, in the eyes of your church folks. Hey, we have to be careful as leaders, and most of us are leaders in some facet or some form. We lead something, and we have to be careful because your sin affects others. So David's reason for failure was obvious. He ignored counsel, and he ignored Joab, ignored God, and did what he wanted to do. That's uses the problem. I have a friend that called me up. He, he, came, he went to a church, took a church. And one of his first things he did was just change all the church music. I said, why do they? He said, I don't like their style of music. I said, well, but what are the people like? You know? But he wanted it his way. He later admitted to me he lost hundreds of people. He wanted it his way. You know what, folks? It's not about what I want. And really, no offense, but it's not about what you want. It's about what God wants. And we have to be tuned in to his leadership in everything we do. I, Harold, I, I'm sure he knows that he has the liberty to pick the songs that God lays on his heart, and I'm not going to manage him. But, it, but, but it's not about Harold. It's not about our music. It's about everything in our life being pleasing to God and not satisfying self. You know, I remember when I, years when I was doing different things, I've always been in ministry, whether it be missions or, you know, pastoring. Uh, first thing I did was a youth pastor in 1980. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was a youth leader, youth pastor. I took the kids on trips and taught Sunday school. And, and uh, I used to think about, boy, if I had the ideal church, what it would be. And how all the things that I like were part of that picture. But that's not always God's way. You know, I, I don't want to be a pastor that has everything my way. I want God's way. Some things God's going to do that I'm just going to go along for the ride, and I'm fine with it because I want God's way, not my way. It is so important. One in Third John, Diotrephes wanted the preeminence. He wanted his own way. We can't have our way. If you come to church and, well, they didn't sing every song I liked. I liked two or three of them. Be content. Be thankful that you had a song you liked, you know, and we're going to try and please the Lord. We're not here to please you. And I don't mean to be offensive, but we have to do what's right, what God leads us to do, and move on and move on and just trust God's leadership here. And it's hard to dictate. My prayer day in and day out is, God, please, you lead that church. Help me to follow you. God, you're in charge of this mission board. Help me to follow you. Help me as I try to lead a family, and I, my family's getting smaller. It's just my wife and I. But help me to lead and please you in my leadership in everything I do. It's so important to please the Lord. The result of David's sin, notice verse 7, said his sin angered God. But I like in verse 8, he says, I've sinned greatly. The problem's me. It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, David said. Hey, I'm the problem here. It angered God, and David said, I'm the problem. And Gad the prophet comes to in the morning, 
in the morning, just like Nathan came to him in the morning, and, and Gad says to him in verse 9, he says, uh, And the Lord spoke unto Gad, David's prophet, seer, saying, Go and tell David these things. I'm going to offer him three choices. He has three choices to make. And he can choose one of these things. Now, David had already experienced military defeat in his life in 1 Samuel 30. He had also experienced uh, famine in 2 Samuel 21. He had experienced things already. He's been a great victorious commander, but he's understood those things. And so he's offered a choice. And what does David say in verse 13? I don't want to make that choice. I'll just leave that up to God. And I, I like that about David. And David said unto Gad, the prophet, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord. For very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of a man. I, I want the Lord to decide. He didn't want to be overrun by armies. He wanted God to decide. And uh, I love that word mercy here. It's translated in Lamentations 3.22, same Hebrew word, compassions. His compassions fail not. Great is his faithfulness. And that's what David did. He said, I'm just going to depend on the Lord's mercies. I know I deserve it. I know I deserve it. And we know the result is terrible in verse 14. The Bible said 70,000 people fell. Are you aware that your sin affects other people? When you make decisions, think about your children and your grandchildren, your coworker, your neighbor. Think about others when you make choices to satisfy yourself. Mick shared his testimony. Why was Mick owning a club and dealing drugs? Because his dad was an alcoholic for 13 years. When you come home screaming and hollering at your wife, and, and if your kids are there and you're, they see your anger, what are they going to do? They've learned from you. You're the master. When you cheat people out of money and you don't pay your bills, your kids are watching you. And they're going to do what they say, what we do in moderation, our kids will do in excess. And you think about the results of sin. You'll reap what you sow. And some of you say, Brother Dan, I've already made the mistake. Well, pick up the phone when you get home and call your kid up and say, I'm sorry about my hypocrisy as a dad or as a mom. And realize you've offended a younger generation and make a change. And start with apologizing. I didn't realize you know, the results of what I did and how it would affect my children. I was talking to my son the other day and I said, you probably don't remember this. I said, one time I went downtown to Cologne, Central America, Panama, and one of our music leader, Hiles Anderson guy and everything like that, and I'm not casting off on that Bible college, but there was our church van parked in front of a bar. Now, you'd taken our magnetic signs off. We had to put magnetic signs off because we, we uh, could only use them when we ran the buses on the base for actually picking up people for church. So the signs weren't on it, but I knew the van. And I went up to the window, and he wasn't in there, but there was a lady in the passenger seat. She said, hey, you want to join us? We're going to go party. And there's a case of beer on the floor. <sighs> was I incensed? I don't know what the word was. I wasn't happy. And he came out of the bar and I said, Shane, I want that van parked at the church in 20 minutes and I want you to turn your keys in Sunday. Never saw him again. Got the keys back. He was embarrassed. I handled it wrong. I was angry. Be angry and sin not. I was angry and I sinned because I went home and there was a telephone on our table and I picked that phone up and threw it. It had a long cord. And I threw it, and it went right through the china cabinet and broke the glass. 
My wife saw it. My kids saw it. That wasn't the way to handle it. I should have just told him in love, I'm very disappointed in you. Please drop the van off and you'll have to give up your position at the church. But I was angry. <laughs> and you know what? When God's angry, he's long suffering. Aren't you thankful? We, we don't want him to be long suffering when it comes to our country. But boy, please God with me, you know. You see, you say that too much, preacher, and I'll keep saying it. We need to examine our own selves. And I like David in that, in that he said, it's me, it's me. And so we have the results of his sin. God's angry. 70,000 people die. Think about it before you sin, what it's going to do to your family. And then the road back to the Father, I like verse 15. Because what does David do? So the Bible says, God sent an angel, not the angel, but an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. I mean, and, and as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and the Lord looked, and the Bible says he repented. And that word means that God changed his mind. God saw the destruction, and he changed his mind. He didn't want to destroy the whole city. I like that. That he looked, and he changed his mind. And, and we know that here, David then, He's, he's, he's near a, a, a person's house, Ornan, a Jebusite, who had a threshing floor, and David's somewhere near there. And at this point in time, the Bible says in verse 16, David lifted up his eyes. He looks up, and he sees the angel of the Lord. Now remember, whenever you see the definite article, the, it's always Yahweh. And who is Yahweh? You know that by now. Before Abraham was, I am. Who is Yahweh? Jesus. This was the Lord appearing He's always existed. He didn't begin in Bethlehem. So here's the Lord, Yahweh. All capital L-O-R-D is not master, it's Yahweh. L in small letters is master. So here is Yahweh. He sees him standing between heaven and earth. And he's holding the sword of the Lord, the Bible says. Do you know what? That's a picture of several things. So many things in the Old Testament point ahead to the New Testament. The fulfillment, all the types, I love it. Remember the brass serpent? If they looked at that brass serpent, they'd be healed from the snake bites. You know who that brass serpent spoke of? Jesus. Brass is a sign of judgment. What was Jesus on the cross? He was two things. He was judgment for sin. He was pain for sin. Yet he brought hope and redemption to those that put faith in him. Well, here he is now, holding the sword between heaven and earth. He's always going between heaven and earth. He's the one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's there. And David gets a glimpse of him and he sees the potential of judgment that God doesn't... He spares David. He, David offers a sacrifice. He was afraid in verse 30. He, he was afraid that, boy, the judgment's going to come. And, and he was fearing that. But God spared the nation. Do you know when... Jacob saw a ladder between heaven and earth, and he saw angels going up and down. It's a vision of the cross. All those Old Testament things. Here's another prophetic type. David writes several messianic psalms, psalms about the future and things that happened to him. Here's something that Ethan, the, the psalmist, would write about. And it's talking about David and how God gave him loving kindness and spared him from judgment. Listen, when Jesus is between heaven and earth, 
He's a mediator. And we make a choice. We come to God through Jesus, the one mediator, the only way, truth, and life. Or we're judged for eternity. David repented. I'm thankful for that. He took full responsibility. And this is a spot, interestingly enough, where Abraham offered Isaac. This is a spot where this took place where Solomon built a temple. And very near where Jesus was crucified. We know that Jesus had to be brought outside the city, so he was a short stint from here where he was crucified. They crucified him outside the city. The place of the skull, I've been there and seen that, and there's a rock formation, looks just like a skull. And I believe that's probably, we're not sure, different ideas, doesn't matter. We know it happened, because the Bible says it happened. But Jesus was taken outside the city and crucified. And right near this very area is where Jacob saw a ladder and where all these things happened. You know what I like best about it? It reminds me of the fact that Jesus stood the gap for me. Hey, you know what I deserve? You know the answer to that. I deserve hell. I don't deserve to preach. I remember the first time I went back to my hometown and preached. A couple thousand people. I was so nervous because I revered my pastor so much. And I guarantee you there were thoughts of people in the audience. Remember when he used to get in fights in the gym? I can't believe he's up. Why did pastor have Dan Mile up there preaching? He was in the newspaper. And it wasn't a good article. It wasn't a, I, was, I was an honor student in that I said, yes, your honor. No, your honor. Not guilty, your honor. I, I, and I know when, God, when I got right with God, I realized it was a God thing. Because I know my motivations in life as a young man were not good. And I remember standing to preach, and I thought, oh, wow, all these people know me. Brother Ellis, a man who did the scoreboard and was always in the gym when I was playing basketball, was sitting about three rows back. And I thought, oh, boy, he's probably going to come up and say, you shouldn't have been up there, son. You know what you are. I remember two guys in the locker room saying one time something about me in my rambunctious ways, older men. Here I am preaching to that audience. But you know the grace of God, Brother Ellis came up afterwards. Oh, Dan, such a blessing and hugged me. And I went home and just broke and thought, God, thank you. That you can change people. You started with me. And I knew that if God's going to use me, he'll use about anyone. <laughs> you know, I know mixed testimony that God would use him to be a pastor. He's been a pastor for close to 50 years. The grace of God. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I was embarrassed to get up and preach. And I'm sure my mom was very proud. She'd been praying for me for years. And God was satisfied that I was obedient to him. Because I didn't want to go to Tennessee Temple. And I didn't want to be a preacher. I came home after a trip and said, I'm not going there. They all gave me tracks and told me I needed a haircut. And I said, I'm not going to that school. <laughs> and I went to my pastor and said, Pastor, I don't like the school. It's too strict for me. He said, well, Dan, you remember what you told me a few weeks ago? How God led you there on a trip. And how your mom wanted you to go to Bible college, I think you ought to reconsider. 
And I thought, man, why didn't he give me what I wanted to hear? God's on the throne. And his grace is sufficient for me. And I know it's sufficient for you. And he stood the gap for every one of us on Calvary. You know why? He loves us. What about that love? What about that love? And this is awesome. David takes responsibility in verse 24. He's willing to pay the price. Ornan says, I'll pay the price. And David said, no. And King David said, Ornan, nay, I will verily buy it for the full price. I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. David wanted to pay, and he paid plenty. He paid 15 pounds of gold. Sin costs plenty. It costs Jesus his blood and if you're not careful, it'll cost you eternity. If you're not a believer today, your sin will place you in hell forever and ever. It costs plenty. But God's grace is sufficient. And David called on the Lord in verse 26. And you know what the Lord did? He answered David's prayer. He sent fire from heaven and burnt that offering up. That offering's all God's. The burnt offering all belonged to God. They weren't allowed to eat any of it. It was burnt up holy for God. The smoke pleased God because it spoke of total obedience and giving it all. Do you give your all to God? Do you give him your time? Do you give him your talent, your treasure? I like the fire from heaven. We see it several times in Scripture. Remember, Samson's parents had fire come down from God. Remember that in 2 Chronicles 7, Solomon prayed and fire came from God. Remember Elisha. Uh, he's, Elijah's praying, excuse me, Elijah. And the offering, he has this battle going on with Baal. And God's going to win out. And God sends down fire from heaven and burns that offering up, water and all. Fire speaks of judgment. And God speaks clearly in this text of judgment. But the great thing is his compassions fail not. In spite of the fact that God hates what's going on in the world and in your life. In your life. He's compassionate in long-suffering because he's God. And I love that about my Lord. He's so good. David lived in fear according to verse 30. And I like the 40th Psalm. We'll close with this. Just a word on Psalm 40. A great Psalm. When David writes this, I love this. He says here in Psalm 40, remember this is a song. I waited patiently for the Lord and inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me out also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he put a new song in my mouth and praise unto God. And he says, he put, a, he put my feet on a rock. And you know who that rock is? The Lord Jesus Christ. I'm on that rock today. If you're not on that rock, you need to trust him today. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, God, for establishing my goings and my comings, for saving me and placing my feet on the rock, for pulling me out of a miry pit. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that's in that pit, that you'll save them today. Oh, save that soul today, Lord. If there's anyone here who says, I'm not living right, and those little sins you talked about, it's me. It's me standing in the need of prayer. I need to examine my own heart. Quit looking at everyone else. It's me. Help them to come, God. Please help them to come. 
just speak to hearts, not only today, but that we'll take the word, the message today and think about it throughout the week. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.